You are listening to Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio, a podcast of Southern Ohio Folklife. Episode 2, Family, Faith, and Community Networks. In the last episode of Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio, we learned about our four narrators' travel and migration stories. In this episode, we explore the role of family, faith, and community networks. Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio is a podcast by Southern Ohio Folklife that seeks to understand the lifeways of Latino communities that call the region home. Family, especially extended family networks, are central to Latina life. At a dinner and karaoke night I attended recently with a local family in Portsmouth, the two patriarchs, who are brothers-in-law, explained that they came with 16 other immigrants from Veracruz, Mexico in the late 1990s. They are the only ones who decided to stay and build their lives in the area. The rest had returned to Mexico. We shared stories over homemade pozole with shaved cabbage and limes, accompanied by hardcore tortillas and crema. When I asked a couple of newly arrived cousins why they had chosen to come to Portsmouth, they pointed to the other people in the room. La familia, because of an existing network. In addition, they noted that the city is small and easy to navigate, and that it is quiet and comfortable. In both Latine and Appalachian cultures, family life is an important network of care, cultural continuity, economic ties, and logistical support. Welcoming people into one's home, feeding them, and making them feel welcome is a strong social value for both groups. J.D., a lifelong resident of Sayero County, describes his mother's and father's styles of hospitality. Anytime you would stop at her home, um, it was her job to feed you, to make sure you were extremely comfortable, had everything you needed. And she did that not only for those who were related to her, but anybody that would stop at her home. And so she was one of the most hospitable people that I've ever um, encountered. My mom is exactly the same way, and my sister carries a lot of that with her as well. Um, that it's about making you feel comfortable and providing for you. So that was ingrained into us. I mean, she didn't ever have to say it, but we just saw it modeled for us with our mother and my grandmother. My dad, on the other hand, um, it, we would talk about it, and, and it would be brought up. You know, you could tell that um, he wanted to make sure that somebody, he would talk about, you know, those that need a second hand, maybe we, we should be the one to provide that. Or um, I remember Thanksgivings when he would invite people over that we know that didn't have somebody to have Thanksgiving with, or maybe didn't have a Thanksgiving meal. Um, fast forward now, uh, my sister hosts our Thanksgiving, and we will have maybe 50 people. Or not, we may have more than that, but it's a very multicultural Thanksgiving. Um, so there's a family that, from Peru that comes every year. Uh, a couple uh, fellas from Veracruz, uh, Mexico, come and have uh, Thanksgiving with us. Um, we usually have um, some Hondurans that have uh, Thanksgiving with us. Um, friends of ours that aren't even related to us come and have Thanksgiving. So it's a very open format and uh, actually like one of my favorite days of the year. Whether Latine or Appalachian, 
It is common to see extended families that reside nearby and visit often. Over 200 miles north of where J.D. grew up, Edwin remembers what daily life was like among his Puerto Rican family and neighbors in Lorraine, Ohio. It was, uh, man, it was, uh, having all that family there, just it, like being able to like be with my cousins and um, kind of grow up with, with the, the same people that you're, you know, you're constantly around. Uh, mm-hmm. Like our, like I said, our family was, is really, really huge. Um, and so the amount of, uh, cousins and aunts and uncles and, um, brothers and sisters, like it was, uh, it, it's very, very prevalent. Um, it, it was just, it made, it made everything just that, that much better. She would make food for like, the whole family almost and uh and so like there was always people like visiting um and you never knew when when you were going to get a visit from some somebody you know and and so like she always had plenty of of food so when she made a pot of rice it was a pot of rice for a party not not for like dinner um and so you know those those types of traditions were were always um Kind of those, those are the kind of traditions that, that kind of stuck out with me um, the, the most growing up. Hector ended up setting down roots in Minford, Ohio, because the women who ran the orphanage wanted to be closer to family in Ohio and West Virginia. Hector stayed in Minford and raised his own family there. And then um, at that time... Uh, the la- the main lady, her name was Ruth, um, where she had family that lived up here in Ohio. Um, actually, I think her brother worked out at the A-Plant in Piketon. And so a lot of them were having health issues. She, he was, the, he, him and one of her sisters were the last family that was left and they had health issues and she wanted to, she wanted to move up here to be closer to them. Um, the other lady, she was from, she had family in West Virginia. And so, uh, I guess their, their, their plan was, okay, well, let's adopt these kids and then we could move them. And so, you know, from what I was told is, you know, they went to our parents. Uh, of course they went to my mom. You know, we were six of the, I think 15 kids that they brought here to Southern Ohio. And so she went to our mom and of course, you know, my mom, one, she didn't still didn't have the capability of taking care of six kids. Um, so she, I would imagine that she knew that, hey, you know, you know how a lot of people, uh, you know, from other countries think, oh man, if I can just make it to America, if I can make it to the United States, you know, I can live the dream. And uh, I'm sure that, uh, you know, her thinking was, you know, they're going to be able to have a better life going or me giving them up for adoption, you know, letting this woman take, take adopt them than me trying to take care of them. And so uh, she, um, she, you know, gave up her right, basically gave up her rights to us. And so uh, we got adopted and she adopted uh three or four other um, kids from other families. 
And then we, when I was 12, almost 13, we moved up here to, uh, to, to Minford. And uh, there was 15 of us. Uh, again, it was, it was one of those um, things where she, they wanted it to still be kind of like an orphanage because all, all the donors and everybody that was giving money and supporting supporting um, what they were doing, they were all from this area. Faith can also be an important cornerstone of culture that guides people's ways of life and how they make meaning for themselves. Here, Pablo speaks in Spanish about the importance of faith-based communities as a central space of integration and connection for Latine residents. He states that the majority of Latine residents in the area are Catholic and that there are at least two churches that offer Mass in Spanish. Bueno, he visto algunas maneras de integración. Uh, por ejemplo, uh, lo que me resalta más es la, el tipo de de asociación basada en la religión, por ejemplo. ¿No? En la comunidad hay eh, latina o hispana aquí, eh, es católica en su mayoría, entonces ellos se organizan de esa forma, participan activamente en la iglesia católica del lugar. ¿No? Hay dos parroquias y participan allí, hacen vigilias, hacen misas en español, que para el número de personas que viven aquí pues es, es algo ¿no? eh, interesante, que ellos mismos busquen uh, ese tipo de asociación, que no es solamente digamos un lugar de oración, sino es un lugar donde también llevan comida, conversan, se organizan, ¿no? Es un, es, he visto que hay ese tipo de, de, de organización aquí. Yes, my childhood um, has a lot to do with, um, you know, being able to, um, like, I, I, I'm a still, I still believe and I'm a firm believer um, and uh, not really Pentecostal, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, but, you know, the still having that, that faith and, um, you know, finding a church that, that is um, accepting mm -hmm. to, um, kind of take on that that type of responsibility of uh, being able to give services in, in both English and Spanish. Right. Um, I think it's really important um, because um, people believe and mm -hmm. if they can't find a church that's going to help them um, continue their relationship with God, then, you know, like, where does that leave them? Um, right. And if, if you're a church, um, you know, your your purpose is to reach those who um, who are far from God and, and help them build that relationship. Uh, I've been in every facet of, I guess, position within a church. I've been a children's pastor. I've been a youth leader. Uh, I've been an outreach pastor. I've been a co-lead pa head pastor. Um, you know, so just about every every type of thing that you could do in a church I've done, um, and uh, then uh, when I when I began to see more and more Spanish people coming into the area, I thought, well, you know, let's let's kind of start a some kind of Spanish, you know, uh, 
church service. And so I started a, I was all by myself in Portsmouth. Uh, you know, the, the various guys that I knew um, started trying to do like a, a Sunday after regular church, just a all Spanish type service. And so we had a few, a few, I uh, had a few guys that would come and we'd, you know, just sit and read some scripture and just talk. Hector combines his role as a pastor with his previous experiences in Mexico to reciprocate the care and assistance he received as a child. He describes how the mission trips he now takes to Latin America put him in a position not unlike the men who used to visit him at the orphanage. And they would have, you know, I, uh, some of the, the childhood memories that I remember is when we lived in Mexico in that orphanage is where they were they were sponsored by multiple churches in the area. And so, and every, every once a year, kind of like what we do, what we have done in the, in the past is we, we've gone to Nicaragua or a different place to do some mission work, either building or doing, you know, VBS type style stuff, Sunday school type stuff. And so we would have, uh, once a year, we'd have a group of men and women that would come from Ohio, West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, they'd come down and they'd have some kind of a building project. Pablo adds that there may be more emphasis on religious life among Latinas in Southern Ohio because there are less public spaces to gather here than in Latin American countries. Space, he says, is configured more individualistically in the United States, which changes the dynamics by which people gather and create community. No, la comunidad en el sur de Ohio es bastante individualista, si se puede decir. No, en realidad, Estados Unidos en relación a, a Latinoamérica es un poco más individualista. ¿no? Entonces, las, la, una de las barreras que hay es, por ejemplo, el idioma, sí, ¿no? uh, para la integración, pero no solo es el idioma, porque hay gente bilingüe también aquí, sino uh, la ausencia de lugares públicos, sean físicos o virtuales, ¿no? que es una barrera no solamente para la comunidad, sino para todas las personas que viven aquí. Probablemente muchas de ellas no sientan la necesidad. Playing sports is also an important way to create networks, build community, and affirm identity through shared interests. Here, Pablo explains how he sought out soccer teams when he first arrived from Montreal and has watched as the teams have grown over the years. Entonces yo buscaba mucho porque quería jugar fútbol y y la primera y así los los encontré, ¿no? Alguien, me acuerdo una persona que no era latina me dijo, "Tal día en tal lugar se van a reunir." Y yo fui sin conocer a nadie, me paré allí y comencé a hablar a uno a otro. Y así comencé a conocer y ahí y desde ahí hice muchos amigos que hasta ahora tengo, ¿no? Grandes amigos que bueno, uno un, uno conserva y que ya después de fútbol uno habla de una cosa, habla de otra cosa, visita la casa, etcétera, ¿no? Y y en ese tiempo no se veía, ahora ya se puede ver. Entonces es una población que va creciendo mucho, pero desde los últimos tal vez dos años. La presencia de jóvenes de entre 20 y 30 y tantos años, hombres no es más notoria que antes, ¿no? 
Entonces, trabajadores jóvenes que vienen recientemente contratados, sea temporalmente, o sea que un proyecto más largo, se ve más todavía para que eso se transforme en una comunidad universitaria, digamos, robusta, sólida. Yo creo que no va a pasar tal vez una generación ¿no? o más, pero en la comunidad se ve más la presencia hispana. Como te digo, cuando llegué en el año 2014, apenas se podían jugar dos partidos así con chicos, como señores de todas las edades. ¿no? Ahora um, fui a ver un campeonato que habían hecho este año, o el año pasado, en el 2022, y habían como ocho equipos ya, no o sé, sea, había más de, no sé, como cien eh, participantes en, en, en ese lugar, lo que da testimonio de este crecimiento que no ha pasado desapercibido, ¿no? porque son gente que, como, como todos nosotros, ¿no? que, que también compra en las tiendas, que va a un lugar, que, 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 que tiene una vida completa, no solo como trabajador, es un ser humano íntegro, ¿no? completo. Entonces se ve todo eso y, y yo pienso que Debido a eso, eh, proyectos como el, el, el Southern Ohio Folk Life es crucial y está en un momento exacto, ¿no? Es un momento porque también está creciendo con la población. Service to community, whether assisting with language classes or inviting people to Thanksgiving dinner, turns into opportunities to meet people from various backgrounds. That's when we started helping out more and more with the ESL classes that um, Cornerstone had. And there was, there was a lot of Latino people that were coming. Uh, and then it was like a mixture. It was pretty neat because we had a lot of um, uh, Muslim people that began to come. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a, it was a, I, th I thought it was really, it was a great time, uh, you know, to meet a lot of great people and be able to, you know, uh, connect with them and, uh, you know, pour into their lives a little bit and then pour into ours. Hector is plugged into an entire network of individuals who seek out his translation skills in order to be able to access basic services. However, in places with more established infrastructures, bilingual translation is more readily available in both print and verbal modes. I'm help, I've helped with, uh, you know, Portsmouth City Schools, uh, translating for them some, uh, the TB clinic, uh, anytime they have somebody that they need uh, translation for, they usually call me. Um, my sisters help some at the hospital. You know, if, if uh, at the hospital I've helped some when I take people there. Um, And, you know, any time that something like that it, it comes up, you know, like when I heard you guys were doing uh, this project, I was like, you know, hey, yeah, I'm, you know, anything that is to help, you know, I, I, for lack of a better phrase, to help my people. <laughs> uh, you know, I said, I, I'm for it. I'm, I'm willing to lend a hand. I'm willing to be of any kind of assistance um, because, You know, I've I've seen I've seen the you know uh, Latino people in the area struggle. Um, you know, we've had some other instances where um, you know there's more and more uh, Latino people coming into the area, 
And, you know, a lot of them are not educated, uh, haven't had much schooling. And so a lot of them know that if they, if they need something, you know, uh, where I've helped quite a few of them, is like they'll give my number, is, you know, I give my number and they'll call me. I have helped guys take them to the hospital. Uh, I've taken them to, um, you know, the doctor, dentist appointments, uh, you know, tried to help them with applications and uh, different, different things like that. In this segment, we heard reflections about the role that faith, family, and community networks play in Latine life in Southern Ohio. Up next, we will hear more about the hopes and dreams that our narrators have for the future. Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio draws on an open access digital archive of oral histories conducted by Southern Ohio Folklife and housed at the Center for Public History at Shawnee State University. Our project asks, what are the histories, stories, traditions, and dreams of Latine Southern Ohioans? Las Culturas del Sur de Ohio is made possible by the generous support of the Central Appalachia Living Traditions Project of Mid-Atlantic Arts and Ohio Humanities. Episodes are produced in partnership with media arts organization Los Herderos. A big thank you to our steering committee, Alejandra Ortega, Michael Barnhart, Sue Eluterio, J.D. Emnett, Lucia Espinosa, Andrew Fight, Elena Fowlis, Franklin Harris IV, Dan Kaufman, Celine Lamb, Edwin Martell, Hector Reffitt, and Pablo Salinas. Thank you also to Elena Fowlis, Celine Lamb, Dan Kaufman, Ileana Perez, and Pablo Salinas for translation and transcription services. If you like what you hear, please consider donating to Southern Ohio Folklife to support our future work. Go to southernohiofolklife.org and click on the support button to learn more about how you can contribute.